So next guest on the show, I've got the pleasure of introducing, and that's going to be Mark Griffiths, a.k.a. Splinter. Uh, a personal friend, someone I've had uh, a lot of banter with over the years and enjoyed some travel times. And, uh, and in fact, Splinter and I went to Ecuador together as the only two Welsh representatives with the British team. And uh, Splinter and I, and as did all the team, enjoyed uh, some real celebrity status uh, in the same way that perhaps somebody like Slater or David Beckham or even Take That would have. Uh, we spent most of our time signing autographs uh, and posing for photos with young ladies in bikinis, which was quite a unique experience for both of us. Um, so, And there were some other tales from that trip. I think I seem to remember Splinter having to... A call of nature on a bus on the way home in front of the French team. But I know, Splint, you'll have plenty of stories, so it should be a really good uh, interview. So enjoy it, readers. Readers, listeners. <laughs> Port Talbot's acting talent has always played second fiddle to its masters of the sea. And is there a finer example than Mark Splinter Griffiths? We'll hear the joys, the thrills and the mishaps of a genuine Welsh legend. And not only that, can he beat the acting greats at acting too? The voice of Mark Vaughan there. I'm Tom Anderson and joining me will be Rob Blythe for this interview. Just to touch on what Vaughan is alluding to there... When you deal with this person, Mark Splinter Griffiths, you have to cut through layers and layers of folklore. Wonderful tales. Can't wait to find out what that one was all about. Let's get on with it. More of that later for this very special episode, Unlucky 13. How do you feel about that, Splint? Oh, well, someone's got to be it, I suppose, so... Let's go for it. <laughs> for Unlucky 13, we'll be crossing all sorts of borders and boundaries. The first bodyboarder to visit the garden studio, Splinter Griffiths is perhaps one of this land's surfing community's favourite prodigal sons. His couple of hundred, or at least it feels that way, wins at the Welsh are barely a starting point for this fella. What does someone say of Splinter if he's mentioned out of earshot? It's usually the same thing. The best person to go on a trip with ever. What a moniker. We had a small taste of it from Gemma Harris in Crest episode 8, the second of our Surf Travel Nightmares specials. It's true though, most uh, of us in the garden studio tonight have been on trips with Splint and would agree that you couldn't possibly hope for a more entertaining travel companion. And that doesn't necessarily mean things go smoothly either. In fact, that's rare on a Splinter trip. Wales's greatest bodyboarder ever is also one of the most disaster-prone travellers you'll ever meet. And does that put him off? Not a jot. Splinter has slid into waves in just about every corner of the earth at some point, and a growing career as a photojournalist now means that he can bring that aptitude for misfortune into a world far, far more lucrative, in theory. Now, because of the sheer viscosity of the legend that surrounds Splinter Griffiths, we've brought in a special bit of help for this week's crest in the form of a formal fact-checker. Is that the right phrase? Anyway, here in the garden studio is one of the tens of people who would have their own Welsh bodyboard title if it wasn't for the existence of Splinter. 
He's been present for many of Splinter's incredible scrapes with fortune and can bring the stern rationality of rhythm and reason to proceedings. Yes, we have today alongside us as fact checker, uh, roving reporter, cultural commentator and, I don't doubt, occasional contributor of laughter. I'd like to say Kreuzer, welcome, Jolcham Thord, to Cardiff University's most acclaimed mathematician, the man who sold out the main stage of the Hay Festival for a lecture on algorithmic graph theory, displacing Wales's national poet to a fringe tent. Uh, I'm in the wrong business, clearly. It's Cardiff School of Mathematics's Dr Ridian Lewis. Uh, thanks, Tom. It's uh, nice to be here. Uh, thanks for that strange introduction. What I do remember about the Hay Festival was uh, being in the green room, brushing shoulders with celebrities, and uh, a man coming over to you and saying, oh, let, introduce me to your friend, and you just replied, that's the guy who just bumped you off the main stage of the Hay Festival, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got to know, hasn't he? And I tell you what, speaking of brushes with celebrity, actually, this is a live one that happened in the water yesterday, apparently. You know, producer Dodd, he's always here for every episode. He's currently muted. Uh, with a big, huge pair of headphones on, but he got dropped in on, I hear, by uh, the right honourable member for Monmouth, who was a, who was a fan of Crest, and you were a witness to this. Uh, so this is your first bit of fact checking. Is it true? It is true. Uh, what I can say as well is that Dodd was actually dropping in on me at the time on a, le on a one foot left, left handed. Uh, David Davis likes a one foot left, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and all I saw was Dodd's arms flailing as a guy on a one-foot wave, lying prone on a longboard, came down the face and then nosedived and his board went flying and Dodd went crashing into him. Now, if you've listened to Crest episode two, um, you'll have come across a reference to the fact that Rob has a penchant for dropping in on uh, the right honourable member for Monmouth. I do, and I feel it's my, my, well, not only my civic duty, but my right as one of his constituents. Um, like I say, I've, as I mentioned on previous episodes, <laughs> one thing he will do is always reply to you and rather sharpish. However, it's always to say that he disagrees with whatever I've said yeah. and that he's in a toga-party line. Do you think this could be, though, that he's replied to you this time, as in replying to the drop-in by getting producer Dodd instead? Is this like, you know, the the, the uh, oh. Elijah Young business, you know, and, and, and oh, Richie Sills' hooey incident going on here now? Has Crest now got beef with the Tory party? I mean, we, all, we hadn't we had that from the, <laughs> from the off. Yeah, OK. And anyway, um, Back to business, you well, you probably are in the wrong business. But on that note, I should add that fans, or should I say the fan of Tom's books, might know Dr. Lewis by the character you based uh, him on in your American East Coast road trip novel. Was it a novel? Uh, Chasing Dean. We're in the presence of Dr. Mark from that book, aren't we? Uh, well, let's ask the fact checker. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in, in that book, he's he's a, he's a professor of, was it was it uh, Markov chain theoretics and computational yes. geosciences or something like that. People used to write to me quite a lot actually and ask me about the ending for that character because because it's left up in the air. And I, eventually, I forwarded it to Rid and he gave me a predictably rational, pragmatic explanation like, oh, he probably just went home and started a serious life. Um, which is not quite what you, you know, well, the, what, the, what the, the muse actually did. Well, I thought, basically, at the end of that book, you were facing a 1,000-mile trip from Maine back to Toronto to go and stay with your mother. <laughs> and uh, on the other hand, Mark had been given the opportunity to spend a few weeks with some br bronzed New England surf goddess. And after having spent a month in a car with you, Tom, I think I know what Mark would have done. <laughs> Isn't the... Uh... A thousand mile road trip to, to Toronto to stay with the mum, the plotline of American Pie. 
Yes. <laughs> right, we have to sue them for copying yeah. the when they were out before. before yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Rid is here today to, uh, how do we put it, keep it all on the straight and narrow to make sure that the right stuff gets covered. Rid, your favourite splinter tail? Well, the one that immediately springs to mind for me was uh, a couple of days after Splinter passed his driving test, he offered to pick me up from my house in Puthcall to drive us down to Newquay, and it involved a right-hand turn onto a dual carriageway. We were only about two miles from Puthcall, and he, t he turned right into the wrong lane and started driving towards oncoming traffic. And there was a central reservation, so we weren't even able to swing across into the left-hand lane, in into the, to the correct... Can I, can I interject here? Um, <laughs> My old the, original skid mark. The, the thing that confused me was I remember Ridder was eating a pasty, so you spit in pasty out of his mouth trying to say something, <laughs> and then Richie was just in a world of his this own. Richie he Grove. didn't know know what. Yeah, Richie, Richie Grove. Grove yeah. He didn't know what was going on. And then I remember Rid saying to me, "Do a Yui, do a Yui," and having just passed my test, I didn't know what a Yui was. So, uh, and then eventually R Richie was like, well, you bloody U-turn, you're doing them the wrong way of the road. I was like, oh, okay. So is that story coming up? Uh, well, it is now. <laughs> let's, uh, let's scribble it in. So Splinter, and right, Splinter's just confirmed that it does appear to be true. So, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. what was that? Do you want to, should we do that again? That's <laughs> <laughs> no, right, don't worry. Okay, now, uh, before we move on to the more serious bit, Rid is also going to referee a challenge later, isn't he? And Splinter has often been referred to as Port Talbot's fourth most famous person after Burton, Sheen and Hopkins, not Bryden. We think he deserves to place higher than that. And to prove it, he has today agreed to take on one of those other lesser greats of Port Talbot in a poetry stomp. Where's your money, Tom? Splint or Burton? Splinter all the way. Uh, the man has a gift. Well, many gifts, as it happens, and uh, i tell you what, let's talk about the first of them, uh, bodyboarding. Um, so, uh, bodyboarding's place in, uh, in, in Welsh surf history, it's been, you know, you were sort of, I suppose, the late 90s, early 2000s, like the kind of, one of the most dominant, sort of most celebest surfers in, in Wales. Mm. Um, and you were always steadfastly dedicated to the fact that bodyboarding was a was an athletic pursuit that you know you sort of yeah yeah I mean I I did um, train a lot back in the day and I did surf as much as I could I mean fortunately for me I grew up in the fantastically aesthetical place of Aberavon Beach which is twinned with Chernobyl and <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally a stone throw from the sea so whenever there was any kind of ripple any kind of wave I was straight in the water just trying to hone my skills essentially um, but the thing that you know really drove me to kind of compete and, and be with other bodyboarders was the fact that there was no one in Aberavon that was actually bodyboarding at the time and I really wanted to travel and spend more time with other bodyboarders and I think that forced me out of this bubble and then into an environment where I was competing with people who were a lot better than me, especially in, in Cornwall. Um, and I think that's why I progressed quite quickly. And, and you used to really defend bodyboarding because, you know, we used to, as stand-ups, yeah. used to give it a bit of stick. Um, and, and, you know, as, as a genuine superior to surfing in terms of the sort of athleticism and the gymnastics of it, uh, our art designer, George Schofield, all the way through lockdown has been watching bodyboard movies he swears by them now so uh, have you have you been proved right um i'd like to think so i'd like to think i mean i've always come across the the, the surfers that usually object to bodyboarding um 
are usually not very good surfers in the first place. It's, it's from experience, the ones that I've traveled with that are actually great surfers usually appreciate the craft for what it is, in a sense. Because I suppose, you know, we're, at the end of the day, there is a skill involved. There is obviously ability at the top level. Um, and if it wasn't for bodyboarders, you know, we wouldn't have people like Paul Roach that, you know, started paving the way for throwing snaps and, and uh, tail slides that kind of influenced the momentum yeah, generation. Course, yeah. 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 And then I you think had people. Chris Warren, was that, was he? Was and Chris Warren on the stand up. Um, but also people that uh, the you know the the West Oz bodyboarders that started riding these mental slabs, mm. and that kind of influenced people like you know the um, the, the other West Oz guys to kind of really push the limits at places like the right and and at Cyclops and stuff. So I think if it wasn't for bodyboarding. I think they they kind of go hand in hand. I think there's there's influence from bodyboarding transitioned over to surfing and, and vice versa. So I think you know those that kind of discredit the sport, uh, you know maybe need to take a look at the. Uh, the values of the sport. A friend of mine, um, you might know him actually, he's a fellow photographer and bodyboarder, Jack Johns. I know Jack, yeah. Yeah, from yeah. down in Cornwall. He um, was telling me this story about there, I think they were at um, Riley's or Eileen's, one of the waiters yeah. on the west coast of Ireland. And he was getting a load of stick off the surfers, saying, oh, I want to have a go on the surfboard, but he's actually a really good surfer as well. And a few, yeah. of, them, a few of them didn't know this. And yeah. he, uh, he said, I'll go on, give me your board. And stroked into like the wave of the day on a stand up spat out and was like there you are silence yeah. get the bodyboard back and I've heard similar tales I've heard Mike Stewart rips on a stand up and Kanoa McGee is kind of you know apparently as well quite a few of them yeah. at that pipe in particular uh, Kanoa competed at the um, uh, the Vulcan Pipe Pro is it is that is that the one where it's just the Hawaiian yeah. crew essentially? Or you the, might mean the, the one in February. Shootout. The, no, the, the one in February is the, yeah, is the, the Vulcan shootout. Pipe Pro, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, it was maybe the shootout or the Pipe Pro, but I think he got to like the the fourth round, which for a bodyboarder, yeah, especially when you're competing against professional surfers, yeah. is you know it's testament in itself, really. Um, so yeah, I, and as you say about Jack, I mean, I mean, I've seen pictures of Jack. Um, a few weekends ago, surfing um, Porth Lebanon, he was like six mm. foot and just pulling into surfer. his barrels and getting yeah. spat out with like so much style and things. So I think people really undervalue the sport because you know, they think of you. Obviously, you're just lying down and kicking it into a wave, but there there is a, yeah. obviously a lot of skill element involved. And and, and that's absolutely not the case. I'm going to bring in Red here, uh, fact checker Red or whatever, roving reporter, whatever we're calling you. Um, you know, for you as as a bodyboarder back in the day, it was about. You know, you 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 had access to parts of the wave and sort of pits that the stand-ups could only dream of, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, Tom. Um, I can remember saying to you once, "Oh, if I'd started surfing at 14 instead of bodyboarding at 14, I wonder how good I would have been on a surfboard." And I'll never know that question. And I always remember you saying to me, "Yeah, but look how much time you spent in the barrel compared to me." And it's true. I mean, we had plenty of reef breaks just in our local area here, but, you know, I've surfed in other places as well, like Splint. And, you there's know, a point. There's a point, Bing for in, example. shipwrecks, lat or lacerations, that's the dangerous one on Lombong, and all these, you know. Yeah, 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 and... Whereas I've gone over the falls at the mall. Well, I can remember, for example, surfing Bingin uh, around sort of 2000, 2001 mark, and um, as the tide, Bingin in Bali, and as the tide drops, it gets incredibly shallow. And all these surf, stand-up surfers, you know, some really, really good, high-standard Aussie rippers, 
were just slowly getting out of the water one by one because they just weren't able to drop into the wave and make that bottom turn. And me as a sponger, as me and two other guys out, and we just spent the next hour getting absolutely shacked off our brains. Oh, I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm scribbling because that's a that's a nice little plug for your for your uh, your charge in there, Red. But I'm just scribbling on my script because I know you have a mishap tale from Bingham, which I think we'll bring in later because there's a there's a surf trip nightmare coming up in this episode, so mm-hmm. we'll come back on that. But yeah, I mean, absolutely concur with that. You know, I used to get so jealous of the time that that sponges could spend in the barrel. Yeah, same with Red. I mean, I've been to Bali and um, I spent time in uh, places like Bingin in in the tree houses overlooking Bingin I remember getting up at like half five in the morning to paddle out in the dark on the low tide and it's just such a sucky wave you could just even when it's like two to three feet which is very rare in Bali I mean it's constantly you know overhead um, you can just park yourself in the barrel for as long as possible and I think it's um, you kind of miss that with with regular stand-up surfing not so much with the pros because of course they have that ability but I think you know if you're an average surfer it is quite hard to get barreled and come out successfully. Mm. I think that there is obviously a knack to it, and I think it's a lot easier if you if you're bodyboarding, regardless of your ability. I think that you know that once you reach that kind of average ability, then it's it's quite easy just to park yourself in the barrel for as long as possible. Now you talk about average ability, but you've already told us about all the uh, the hours that you've put in the water to get better and reach those, well, those highs of all those Welsh victories, but. What was the, the first sign that you're going to dominate in that? Do you, do you remember reaching a point where you thought, I'm going to win everything? Uh, what, in the Welsh or in just in British well, you won Britishes as well. Yeah. British. Yeah, British I mean, <laughs> Britishes. Um, I mean, for me, it was, so I had a period in 2002 to 2004 where I didn't lose a contest, on 2002 to 2005, sorry, where fortunately I didn't lose a contest for, for three years, so I could be in the... Wow the Nationals twice, the British Cup three times, and various other contests that they had. They had like the Jesus Pro Classic, the Welsh Nationals, and all these other events that they used to have back in the day at Fistral and at Porth Towing. Um, so I had that period, and then I just thought I was invincible. Um, and then it all came crashing down when I started getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> and complacent. <laughs> um, I was on your first trip in the Welsh team and I, I remember actually quite well that in school we'd all mapped out that we were all having our summer trip to Portugal for the junior Euros and we'd planned you know like Sagey's qualifying in the under 18s I'm going in the under 16 Steve Vaughan's going in this so we had it all planned out uh, and then you displaced one of our expected to well, hang on Math Hapgood's not going there's yeah. this kid from Aberavon Who's managed to, yeah. to? I think it was second in the. I can't remember if it was the under 16s or the under. It must have been the it under 16s. It was the under 16s, yeah. Bodyboard, and that was the first I ever met of you. Then was like, yeah. oh, this is this is that kid who, who who's here on the trip. And I, and I think actually the Porthcall boys kind of tried to bully you a bit on that trip. Nick David in particular, and 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 some of that bullying did lead to the to the nickname that you've now sort of gone on to. Oh, I don't know if it was bully. By the, the thing is, by the end of the trip. You were an absolute legend, and everyone was yeah. like, "This guy's the this guy's the best thing since sliced bread," you know. And 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 you did really well in that contest as well, better than any of the Porthcawl bodyboarders. Do you remember that trip? I do, and I think I don't think no, it wasn't bullying. It was kind of hard banter, if that makes. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can understand why. I was a bit of a social recluse. I was what fifteen years old. Um, I was kind of like, do you remember that character in the Burbs, the ginger guy, the like, <laughs> sardines? Um, I was a little bit like him, you know, just kept myself to myself. I didn't really like to talk to anyone. I was a bit of a, an introvert, and and I just 
it was I just remember being on this trip with all these loud Porth call boys thinking, oh my god, these are intense. Um, <laughs> farting and talking about sex and stuff, and I probably, you know, had only just discovered wanking. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a good trip. It was, I think, that really kind of made me who I am. That was kind of the benchmark for um, trips to come and, and uh, you know, kind of brought me out of my shell. Um, but I do remember the um, the trip very well. I just remember, you know, having a great time with uh, everyone. And it, it was when the the nickname was given birth to, wasn't it? It was when, it was when I was christened by uh, Reverend Stephen Horne. Um, he, yeah, he christened me with the name Splinter, and I can't remember how exactly it, it came about, so maybe he can, we can get him on and, and maybe give us uh, an insight into I, that. But I, 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 can I interject? Yeah, here? absolutely, fact-checker. Uh, I have two, two points to make here. Firstly, Splinter, I think uh, you should thank me for that nickname in an indirect way, because the reason you went on that surf trip probably don't remember this but in the 1996 under 16s welsh bodyboard final i was there with you and you finished ahead of me in that final because i didn't actually get outside for the entire <laughs> no is that what it is uh, so as a result through getting outside and catching a wave yep. you were able to go on the european wow uh, odyssey yeah and i also believe the splinter nickname was something to do with the I think when you were 15, you had sticky out teeth. Yeah, it was. I did. I did have very rat-like features. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ninja turtles. <laughs> no, it was the ninja turtles. Yeah. It was a specific resemblance, I thought. To it, it was a combination of being. But he's the coolest rat yeah, in, yeah, in the history. Because yeah. I remember you, Tom. You were kind of egging me on to have a go at Nick and Steve Horn all the time. You were like, "Go on, say something to them," and I would kind of, you know, make these off comments to them when they were sleeping saying oh your, your mother or whatever yeah. <laughs> and you were encouraging me you were like the bad devil on my shoulder um, and I remember just antagonizing them constantly and in the end they were like oh look at you you're like a little bloody gerbil around the place a little rat and then I think it spiraled from there they were like yeah you're like that that rat from the turtles the little ginger one who's who's like the hardest yeah. who's the master hardest ever. master yeah essentially and, and then you did you did end up laughing through the rest of the 90s and 2000s then? Yes. Yeah, no, it was, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, that trip essentially kind of gave me confidence to come out of my shell. And um, from then I um, continued to travel um, with the Welsh team and, and then with the British team in the early 2000s and um, continued to compete and just enjoyed everything about it, really. I mean, I went away with yourself, Tom, in Sri Lanka, which was in 2002, I believe. The Possibly. I got three or 2003 four actually, yeah. yeah. With the Cromwell 2003, brothers, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had many trips uh, away with Rid as well to Newquay and to other places. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done anything with you, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's, it's just. not been... going to stop him asking you about trips, though. No. <laughs> no. Okay, well, uh, because the Bodyboard uh, Club with their podcast did such a forensic discussion of bodyboarding, as you'd expect. We want listeners uh, to go there for more on that rather than tread the same ground here. Yeah, fabulous podcast uh, with the Welsh body. Thoroughly Club. enjoyable, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, big plug to that here, yeah. So, Thanks. Well, let's uh, let's talk about travel. So we've, you've mentioned some of your trips, but what was your, your first big trip? Uh, my first big trip? Oh, well. Um, I mean, it, it would have to be Portugal was the first big trip away with, with the Welsh team, but my first big trip... For me, with with um, 
aside from the Welsh Surfing Federation, was uh, I did a trip to Ireland, which Gemma mentioned in the previous podcast. Um, and I'd like to set a few facts straight, oh, yeah. if I can. Well, please, as, actually, as I mentioned in the, that episode, I think we've all heard... I mean, I've heard at least three different accounts with yeah. details differing slightly, so I'd like to... That's why we got a fact-checker but in the I, studio. Although, I don't know, you were in a board bag for half of it, so you wouldn't know. Yeah, this is, this is <laughs> my, true. My other sense, uh, senses were working true? overtime. <laughs> <laughs> the splinter senses. <laughs> the splinter senses. The ninja senses were working overtime. Um, yeah, so a few, few points that need to be made. So, um, and I hate to do this, but... Gemma wasn't on the trip. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I'm oh, sorry, dear, Gemma. Oh dear, oh dear, Gemma. <laughs> Gemma, you were just living off the back of that trip, <laughs> taking the limelight. Uh, it was an all-boys trip, and I was the youngest person um, on this trip, and it was the majority of the people on the trip were kind of in their mid-20s, late-30s, and uh, I was only 16 at the time, and basically what, what had happened... I'll set the, f- the record straight here. So we were in a pub in Ireland and it was two days before we were about to leave. And then someone said to me, it was Duck, a, a good friend of mine called Duck, um, said to me, he said, have you got your ticket to get back on the ferry? And I, I laughed and said, no, I don't need a ticket. I said, you've just booked us on. He said, no, no. He said, remember, I give you the ticket. I said, he said, we left, I give everyone a ticket, go and check your bag. And of course, other people said this to me as well and they were showing these fake tickets which they had made prior and I was so this like, was very well planned so it was very well planned out and then I was thinking oh, actually I do remember things being dispersed to other people maybe, I, maybe I've lost it so I remember checking my bag and then frank, frantically going oh my god I've lost this ticket what am I going to do so I went back to Duck and the rest of the boys and I said right this is the situation I've looked everywhere I can't find my ticket what do I do? What are my options? He said, okay. Uh, he said, let me have a ring. I, he said, I'm going to ring the ferry company. So he comes back. And obviously he's just been to his room for a, you know, just to sit down for five minutes. He comes back and he said, right, I've rung the ferry company. We can get you back on the ferry. It's going to be an extra £600. Or we've got an, another option. And the other option is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think it'll be okay. We'll smuggle you back put you in the board bag and we'll put you through customs how does that sound and as a 16 year old 600 pound it's not a no-brainer really isn't it so I went with the board bag option and then cut a long story short we arrived at the ferry port I was in this board bag this long board bag lying as flat as I could and then the van stops and then I hear someone get out which I understand now was one of my friends jock and he walked over to a parking attendant who had a high visibility vest on. So he wasn't even a customs officer. <laughs> he walked over to a parking attendant and he said, listen, mate, I've got it. we've got this boy with us. Um, we're winding him up. We've got him in the van. Um, he thinks he needs a board, uh, boarding pass, but we've already paid for the ferry. Would you mind pretending to be a customs officer and just rummaging around the van? And he said, yeah, that sounds great. So he gets back in the van and... Uh, van starts driving along and then all I can hear is the boys going right splint splint arriving in customs they're going to check the van so try and be as still as possible so literally my heart is beating out of my chest I'm trembling uh, and then I hear the van door open and he said right I'm going to have a look around in here boys and then I can hear the boys going shh shh be quiet he's coming 
So I'm standing, sitting there as still as possible, and then I feel this hand kind of pushing the board back, <laughs> and he's working his way up, and eventually he's poking my face, and then he says, "What? What's in here? Who's in here? There's someone in here. You've got someone in here." And then he opens this board bag up, and it's my terrified face, and literally there's a million things going through my mind. So he marches me out to this van, down the middle of this aisle where all these cars are kind of stopped. And then he says, right, oh, you're in a lot of trouble, boy. You're in a lot of trouble. You're going to go to prison for this, an Irish prison. And I'm literally that close to wet in my pants. So at the last moment, I try to bribe him with a £10 note. And then he bursts out laughing. And I look back and I can see all the lads outside the van literally in stitches. Uh, and that's the actual fact. That's the I, I want to story. check one bit of it is the bit about putting your hands out to make a fin shape in the board bag. I through. did do that as well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, well, I had to make it look authentic. So we uh, talked earlier about Indonesia a little bit. So you've surfed over there. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What sort of waves did you surf? What sort of barrels did you get? Yeah, well, it's just flawless, really, isn't it? It's probably the most perfect place you can go for surfing. I mean, the, um, what they call it, the roaring, the, the the roaring, the, 40s. the roaring forty yeah. is the low pressure system where you're guaranteed offshores for six months of the year. Oh, you uh, mean the trade winds? The from trade Darwin. winds, yeah, yeah, yeah and Bali, the star, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's you know, there's so much variety there um, in terms of uh, the amount of waves that you can surf. I mean, especially if you're, you know, if you're a surfer, if you're a goofy footer, you're loving it. Um, but I mean, for me, I, I just love spending time around. Um, Padang Padang and surfing Bingin and uh, even Uluatu, uh, you know, it's a great wave, especially um, that inside section on, on Ulus. Um, and also going over to, to some of the other islands, um, I didn't get to go to, um, I went to Nusa Lembongan and surfed, you know, shipwrecks and lacerations. Um, I thought yeah. I'd love to return though, I, I, I mean, I've only been twice, so I, I'd love to do another trip. Um, and surf, you know, maybe more of the outdoor well, islands. Well, they're a rarity, aren't they, the ones on New Slembong? Because there's actually a couple of rights there. You've got last yeah, and shipwrecks. Yeah. And um, after surfing left for so many weeks on Bali, suddenly a right can feel a bit strange. It does, massively. Um, and people don't think this is about bodyboard, and they think that there's no kind of preferential way that bodyboard is preferred to go, because essentially you're doing the same manoeuvres and... But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a preference. I mean, I don't know what it's like for you, Rid. Did you prefer going left or right? Yeah, I always preferred left. I always used to drop me on right and then, and then prone on left. Yeah. So when I was 19, just before I started university, the year after I left school, I don't know quite the thought process involved, but I suddenly thought I'd be OK travelling to Bali by myself. So all of a sudden, I'm in Bali, 19 years of age, don't know anybody. Uh, desperate to make friends, lacking self-confidence, but surfing three times a day. And after about a week of surfing around Kuta, uh, I, started try I started hanging out with a couple of New Zealand guys, bodyboarders, and they said, oh, come out to dinner with us this evening and then we'll go to the Sari Club. This is uh, the local hangout at the time. Now, sadly, no longer there because mm. of the Bali bombings. Mm. Um, but yeah, at that time I was trying to impress people and when one of the guys was uh, this bodyboarder, he was this big New Zealand Maori guy from Dunedin in the South Island. And I was trying to impress him, so he was saying, oh, us Maoris, we can drink. And I said, ah, oh, you can't drink like a Welshman. So we <laughs> sat at the bar and uh, we had a sort of a, a free pint downing competition or something <laughs> and had a sort of a little crowd around us. And I staggered off to bed about four or five, no, two or three in the morning. And I remember 
before going to bed, promising them, right boys, we'll all get up in the morning, five o'clock, and we'll all go to Bingen. Haven't been down to the peninsula yet, we'll, we'll surf Bingen. Yeah, great, great. So all of a sudden, there's a minibus outside my hotel at five o'clock the next morning. And I checked with these Kiwi guys in it, so we jumped in and uh, went straight down to Bingen. And of course, Bingen was a real step up to any wave that I'd ever surfed before. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd surfed in Bali and around Europe, and uh, I'd surfed in around Kuta, and but down there, it's it's proper proper it serious, proper waves, especially with a hangover. Yeah, and I don't know what I was doing because, as I said, uh, you know, as the tide goes out, it gets shallower and shallower. And uh, on about my third wave, I thought, wow, this place is really barreling right. The next one, I'm going to drop in deep, and, and I didn't come out of the barrel, went over the falls a little bit and got razzed on the reef. And I thought, oh, that would hurt a little bit, that did, you know, but I was still a bit intoxicated from the night before. I thought, oh, I better be careful. But of course, uh, the adrenaline and the enthusiasm got the better of me. And on the next wave, I sucked over the falls again and I was totally pulled across the reef. My rash vest was ripped off me in oh, two. No. My board shorts were torn up. And I just remember staggering up the reef, walking in ankle deep water up the reef. And I had a big gash on my shoulder, about four inches across oh, my shoulder. No. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. That's no surfing for me for a few weeks. And I can remember then in one of the warangs, one of the tree houses on yeah. the cliffs, and asking a local there, uh, do you have any antiseptic? And one of the Kiwi boys actually had some um, hydrogen peroxide in the, uh, in his, in his yeah. board bag. So a little crowd gathered around me as they started dabbing hydrogen peroxide. One of surfing's greatest spectacles. And of course, when you put hydrogen peroxide into a reef cut, it fizzes. It fizzes, yeah. It fizzes. It's and like it's emptying a fizzy drink onto the floor, isn't it? It's yeah. Just... Mm. And uh, I think I nearly passed out with the pain. I but know. of course, that was a week and a half then of me sitting around Kuta Beach, not being able to surf, no. waiting for my wounds to close up. That's Practicing a good story. Yeah. My <laughs> I think anyone that's been to the tropics has experienced that pain at some point. Um, one of the, as you were talking there, I was thinking about uh, uh, quite a funny story from Bali, and, and I always found Bali a really bizarre place because you got, you know, where the waves are, it's, it's quite rural and there's just tree houses and there's not really much around. But then Kuta itself is a bit of a mad place, isn't it? I remember going to bounty one night and there was a um, like a monkey tied to the bar <laughs> and then there was this guy just doing laps of the dance floor in a moped and I just <laughs> I was drinking out of this massive fish bowl <laughs> god knows what I had in it one night that me and my friend me and my friend Scott went out to Bali and um, one night he was we, we'd been surfing all day and he said oh he said sprint I said, I, he said I'm just gonna turn in for the night I'm knackered um, and I was, ah, oh, come on, man, let's go, let's go and get some drinks. He's like, no, I'm really tired. I said, oh, okay, no worries. I'm just going to chill by the pool. Um, so I was sitting by the pool, and this uh, Aussie bird came up to me, and she was like, oh, hi, am I? I was like, yeah, how's it going? Yeah. And she was like, oh, you, you going for a drink tonight? I said, yeah, I might do. I might have one or two. She said, oh, you should have a phantom milkshake. I said, what's a oh, phantom yeah. milkshake? She said, you've never tried a phantom milkshake. There's a no-in look on Rob's face. <laughs> Rob knows what this is. Well, I've, I've heard about that, yeah. And I was like, no, no, I've never tried one. She was like, I'll take you. I'll take you for one now. I was like, okay, cool, cool. So we walked down in between Poppies 1 and 2, down this really seedy lane into this house. And there's this woman that, that looks like her. She's 150. And she's got this blender. And she's putting all this stuff into this blender. And I remember this Aussie girl saying, nah, put more in, put more in. Um, and the woman was like, no, too much, too much. And eventually she pours this stuff into these two shakes, which is this brown gloop. 
Um, and I start sipping it, and I was like, oh, it does taste like, you know, a little bit like an orangeade or a Fanta. She was like, yeah, that's where they get the name from. Um, I said, what is it? She said, oh, it's just a herbal drink. So I downed the thing, not knowing what it is. And then she told me, oh, that's magic mushrooms, you nutter. <laughs> uh, so we sat on the beach. We just sat on the beach, and she was still sipping hers. I remember looking up at the sky, and I could just see a shooting star. And I was like, oh, whoa, wicked. There's a shooting star by there. And then within about 30 seconds, like the whole, all of the constellations, all of the stars were going back and forth. Um, and I was like, whoa, I got to get up. I got to go home. There's something going on here. <laughs> so I started walking up Poppy's One, which turned into a river. And I was trying to pull the children off the road, <laughs> thinking they were drowned. <laughs> Eventually I got home and I remember my friend was in bed and I was in a real bad state. And I was like, right, I need help. So I just remember staring at my friend's face while he was sleeping. Uh, just kneeling down, looking at his face, and I could just see him sleeping. I was saying, please wake up, please wake up. <laughs> Eventually, he opens his eyes, kind of jumps back. He's like, Split, what are you doing? I was like... <laughs> uh, I used a dog's incapacitated. <laughs> we've, we've lost one, man down. He said, Split, what are you doing? I was like, man, I'm in a bad state. I'm seeing some really bad shit at the moment. He was like, you've taken mushrooms, haven't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, do you need a doctor? I was like, yeah, call a doctor. So he goes to reception. And uh, he comes back, which seemed like an eternity. It was probably only like five minutes. He's like, right, I've been to reception. They'll send a doctor, put you on a trip. They'll basically just flush your system with water, but it's going to cost 100 quid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, just, seem, just help me through it. Don't worry about the doctor. <laughs> and eventually I fell asleep on the floor in the shower. Goes the shower a long way in Bali in those days, 100 quid. It does, yeah. It's classic. Do you know, I was going to go from there to ask you about some of the big trips you've done for Worlds Contest, but, you know, I think compared to all of that, just like, well, I was in the blue for this heat and then I was in green for this heat and then I was in red for the next heat, it's probably not quite going to uh, stand up to it. But, you know, have you been anywhere... Interesting. I tell, we'll ask you to hold off on Ecuador because I've already mentioned that yeah. in, the, in, in our intro. Any trips done with, with British teams to anywhere interesting as well? South Africa was a great one to Durban, yeah. which was amazing. I yeah. mean, just such a hospitable place, but also quite a scary place as well. Um, Sometimes yeah. on these trips, there can be a sense of hierarchy, can't there? With uh, more senior members of the teams holding court and newbies having to be careful. I was just wondering where being a bodyboarder comes into that dynamic. You'd often won more than anyone else in the team, but I often found that us bodyboarders couldn't access, well, we could access much gnarlier waves, but did you feel in a position that you were looked up to by stand-ups, or did you get stick? Was there like a second-class citizen thing? You, you guys probably went to Cave Rock uh, on that trip or something. We did did go to Cave Rock, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you'd have had the upper hand there, so, for example. Yeah, well, we went to Cave Rock, and um, it wasn't particularly big. It was only like three foot, maybe four foot in a set. Um, but I just remember that the power is, is kind of like a backdoor wave, isn't it? It's just basically breaks on that shelf um, but I remember being out there when there was another bodyboarder there and I ducked out of this wave and my hands scraped on the reef and as I came up all my fingers were bleeding and this guy was just looking at me for ages this South African bodyboarder and he was like why are you still in the water I was like what do you mean he's like this is a sharky area you so say you need to oh, get you're bleeding yeah uh, of course <laughs> but um, no I mean in terms of hierarchy I mean especially with like the British team I think there's always a real strong camaraderie in the team and everyone kind of supports each other I've never really had the those experiences really so much on team trips it's always been um like I mentioned earlier when when you're surfing breaks or you're, you're chatting with friends that can you know certain people acquaintances that can barely surf and then they try and talk down to you 
Um, so it's always, I mean, the, the, the negative comments that I've had have always been from those, those kind of people. Right. Interesting. So you mentioned, you know, you served for the British team and you've also served for the Welsh team. Um, so I just wanted to bring up something about Wales um, and Welsh culture. So um, specifically the language. My kids go to Welsh school. Um, they speak Welsh. I learnt Welsh at night school. But you're a native speaker, aren't you? I did go to a Welsh school, yes. And did your ability to speak Welsh ever open doors for further surfing coverage or recognition? I did do a few interviews with S4C. I did work with Alex Jones, who's now the presenter of uh, the One the Show. One show. Yeah. And we did a, I can't mm, remember Alex the- Alex Jones. Alex Jones. <laughs> Friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember the name of the show, but um, it was in the Avon Lido, which uh, was in Talbot, And I remember that the, the crew turned up about 40 minutes late. So it was me and Alex chatting for a while. So I think we could have had a thing. Mm, um, yeah. If we'd had a little bit Potential, longer, perhaps. Potential, yeah. yeah. You could have taken it to see the sights of Aberavon. Yeah, she could have been your Elizabeth Taylor. I, I'd like to think because of that interview, that's why she got the job on the one show. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah that's a good point. Yeah. Harry Cromwell, we've established on Crest, is the reason Jeremy Flores won a Pike Masters, and Splinter is the reason Alex Jones presents the one show. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm responsible for her career. Wow. Yeah. Well, you are a, a legend, and. Um, Splint has gone on through the looking glass of history to be seen as one of the country's favourite figures. One of the all-time greats. Such status, however, is only achieved by those who can bring more to the table than merely being a fantastic wave rider. The second line of our national anthem makes it clear that we hold certain skills paramount in forging Welsh identity. Gladbariath, Akantorion and Wagion Ovri. What does it mean, Splint? What do you think it means? <laughs> I'd say it means land of famous poets and singers. I would say it means the same by looking at your script. Yeah. <laughs> That's some quality Welsh school. Eh? <laughs> Peeking behind the magician's cloth. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard uh, that you are indeed in possession of uh, such abilities on top of your legend uh, as a waterman. Is that true? Well, so I've heard. I'm a bit of a storyteller, but I, I don't know if I can hold a claim to the greats of Botolbert, such as Burton, Sheen, wow. Hopkins, we Captain Beanie. As we said, Rid <laughs> is here for more than just fact-checking. And I can confirm from what we've just been hearing that you are a fabulous storyteller. In fact, I want to go back for a second. At what point are you being led down this alleyway by this girl in Bali and she's saying, let's take this weird brown gloopy stuff. At what point did that start to seem like a bit... It didn't seem like a bad idea at any point. There were no alarm bells ringing there. Well, no, I was single. Um, I'd had like six pints and she was Australian and she was wearing a skirt, so. <laughs> I think if an Australian girl had come up to me at that age in Bali and said, hey mate, come with me and have one of my milkshakes, <laughs> I think I would have gone too, Splint. She could have led me into the depths of Basra and I probably would have followed her. <laughs> Fancy a route. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if she had said that to you, Splint, you never know. She might have been a, a well-educated girl who knew her classical theatre, because in Macbeth, Macbeth's pal Banquo does in fact say to him about the witches, were such things here as we do speak of, or have we eaten of the insane root that takes the reason prisoner? And that's actually a reference to magic mushrooms there. Now, of course, this is a, a, the one time we've got the swear jar. I'm not allowed to talk. A renaissance theatre and Rob is not allowed to talk France on this show normally but we're about to go there so I thought it, it might be all right to bring that in here. Uh, Red is here 
for the purposes of arbitration. Uh, and we not only uh, we now have a very special feature to enjoy here on Crest, which which Splint half knows about. Uh, it's time for the inaugural Crest Poetry Stomp, because of course that word in the national anthem, glad bear, the, the word bard, the bard, it's, it's a Welsh word. It's from it's from the Eisteddfod, isn't it? Uh, and Rid is now going to referee a very special battle, uh, and for it. We have found somebody else from Port Talbot, another Hall of Famer who has agreed to call in to Crest briefly for an appearance here, albeit one of a lesser note than Splint. Rid, over to you. Uh, thank you, Tom. Yes, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Splinter Griffiths versus Richard Burton, the Hollywood great who did indeed hail from Pontrie de Ven, only just down the road. He has provided us with a series of poetry readings from beyond the grave. And there, on the page in front of you, Splint, is your own copy. A contentious issue, this has divided opinion for nearly two decades, but we're going to settle it once and for all. It's time to find out who is the best voice for verse in Portalbert. Now, first, we're going to do a coin toss. Coin toss. Splint, heads or tails? I'll let Burton decide. Head. <laughs> okay, let's test the coin. <laughs> oh, it's tails. Right, oh. Splint, do you want to go first or second? <laughs> I'll go second. Right then. Um, yeah, Rid, you, 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 here we have the we have this, the uh, the challenge. We've got them. Here are the texts. This first one is under milk wood, and a pretty decent way to kick off. Uh, Richard, would you like to go first? To begin at the beginning. It is spring, moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black, the cobble streets silent and the hunched quarters and rabbits wood limping invisible down to the slow black, slow black, crow black fishing boat bobbing sea. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, you still got it. Um... Right, Splint, would you like to go? To begin in the beginning. It is spring moonless night in the small town. Starless and Bible black. The cobble street silent and the hunched. Quarters and rabbits wood limping. Invisible down to the slow black. Slow black. <laughs> Crow black. Fishing boat bobbing sea. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, I, I, Tom, I was laughing Tom, too much back Splinter. then. Eddie, Eddie agreed to go second. You did. You yes. Were second. Yeah. God, you are choosing the pressure, isn't it? Uh, splinter. Yeah. Got to okay. be Splinter. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Burton. Uh, right. There was an element of fascia at the end. Uh, yeah. I spotted that. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, yeah, yeah. Intertextual homage to uh, you know current contemporaries, mm. of course. Yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, so the next one is um, rhyme of the ancient mariner. Mr. Burton, would you like to go? Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. The very deep did rot, oh Christ, that ever this should be. Yea, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Burton. Oh, um, fantastic. And Splinter. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, 
not any drop to drink. The very deep did rot, O oh Christ. Whatever this should be, yes, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. Excellent. I think Fabulous. I lost that one. I, I think, think well, I, I tell you. Are you walking here? You've, you've taken a snick off your bat, have you? Yeah, I think that... Elizabeth Taylor is standing over there and she's looking at me, giving me the evil yeah. eyes. I think yeah. if we don't give Richard a point here, she's mm. going to be very Although upset. Alex Jones will probably get her in the car park if she's in your she car. She probably would. Yeah, so what do you think, guys? Oh, let's give it Burton then. Burton, it then. keeps it exciting, it's yeah, tied. Burton it's tied. Okay. Okay, we're going to go gloomy for a minute, although I suppose the other ones are quite depressing as well, aren't they? This one splint, Tom tells me, although it means nothing to me, is hallowed territory. Now, let's see how the Port Talbot legends get on with this one. To be or not to be? That's the word. Are we going to swap over at the net, you know? You're in the towelling area drinking your glass of Robinson's? Yeah, I've got the sun in my eyes, um, and my physio's been on, my leg's OK. I can go back on, but I'm on the other side of the Oh, the, OK, uh, so, so, so you're going first, right? Yeah. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. Oh, mm. stylish finish there. Yeah, that brought shivers. It did, didn't yeah. it? Good it. Was it? UK, Richard. Your hair stand on end. It did. Richard's looking pretty annoyed. Yes. I, I, oh, oh, dear. Why does the ghost? It's almost like an arousal. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Richard. Off you go. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing any. Thank you, Richard. Well, he, he put a lot of passion in there, but I don't know. It's spent all the way, surely, I, isn't it? I didn't believe him. I didn't yes. believe him, Tom. I didn't believe him either. His authenticity in Splinter's no. rendition. Yeah. The wind out of his sails, yeah. so. I, I don't think he's, you know, I have. He even was, though he's he's an Oscar-winning actor, was it on the same calibre as myself? No. He, he, he's he's he still stuck back on the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He is. Exactly. He's he moved on. He's on El Dorado, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so, we're back. Splinter, you've got the lead once more. Can Burton peg it back to a draw? We'll see. This next one is Christopher Marlowe's Dr Faustus. He of the proverbial Faustian Pact. This is the moment he gets dragged to hell when the pact comes to an end. Mr. Splinter, you are up. I feel like there's a spelling error. You stars? Yeah. Should that be your stars, perhaps? No, it's you. He's is talking it? to the stars. Oh, begging them to keep I him see. in the sky when he's on his way down to hell. Right. Okay. You stars that reign at my nativity, whose influence hath allotted death and hell. Now draw up Fastos like a foggy mist into the entrails of your labouring clouds, that, when you vomit forth into the air, my limbs may issue from the smoky mouths, so that my soul may be ascent to heaven. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious me. Ah, oh, Burton. What are you going to do about that one, Burton? Yeah, I've got on. a chance. You can try your best. Yeah, I'm lighting a up a cigar right now. <laughs> you stars. Oh, now he reaches for the back in music, eh? death and a bit late in the game. Now draw Faustus like a foggy mist into the entrails of yon labouring clouds, that when they vomit forth into the air, my limbs may issue from their smoky mouths, so that my soul may but ascend to heaven. Well, Sorry, think, Ben. Guys? I think it was a bit rushed. Not a I know I shouldn't comment on this, but He's it was tempo, almost like he? he needed a poo. 
<laughs> it's just... It's, um... You're right. You're right. Perhaps a well, all I can say is, uh, Mr. Burton, Elizabeth, thank you for coming in. It wasn't your night tonight, but you've had a good day out. Yeah, and, uh, there's the a taxi waiting for you outside, so uh, see you again sometime. Alex Jones can stay. 3-1. You, oh. You've smashed him, Slim. Cheers, guys. How do you feel about that? Was that the biggest scalp of your career? I think it was, yeah. I think after you, Rid, I think that's the, the, the biggest scalp of my career. <laughs> I think I think Burton struggled to get outside there. Yeah. I think he was stuck yeah. in the whitewash for a while. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Pure gold uh, splinter. Congratulations. And uh, that was a pretty formidable opponent. So uh, thanks for coming on Crest too, uh, Richard. He's already in the car. Uh, he's off. Anyway, uh, we'll keep our own Port Talbot legend. Uh, as we mentioned, trips to the worlds earlier, and as you know, Vaughny when he knew you were coming on, wanted to introduce you. And his intro included the following, in reference to a British team trip to Ecuador, in which you two were the only representatives from God's land. He said, Splinter and I enjoyed real celebrity status in the way that perhaps Slater or David Beckham, or even Take That would have. We spent most of our time signing autographs and posing for photos with young ladies in bikinis, which was quite a unique, unique experience for uh, the both of us and is uh, also what Vaughney describes as the call of nature on a bus, with Splint having to go in front of the entire French team. Are you able to elaborate on that? You looked a bit uh, confused, actually, I was. at mention of that. I, I don't think this was me. <laughs> and I'd like to know, I'd like him to elaborate on that story. I remember the fame. I remember signing breaths. But... <laughs> <laughs> In Ecuador. In Ecuador. So what was, what was that all about then? Just they, well, they were fans of Welsh bodyboarding, were they? They were just fans of surfing, I, I, I'm assuming. But there was it was basically it was like a ten to one ratio, women to men, and there was just women in bikinis everywhere, and literally people were sitting on your laps asking for autographs. It was like it was literally like heaven on earth. It was like going down Rest Bay, taking away the chavs leaving the women and then they were all just coming and sitting on your lap but i can't remember that bit on the french bus all right maybe i exposed myself was i drunk did he did he specify that no we'll, we give, we'll give one of your right to reply well, we, we will and i think that we've got now two sort of follow-up episodes well no in well, fact three follow-up splinter has contradicted Gemma Harris, yeah. Mark Vaughan. So I'm just looking through the Crest book now to see what date we got Gemma Harris's uh, interview episode booked. So we'll, you know, we'll... And then, of course, Burton is now going to have his people in touch with us asking if he can come on again as well, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I think he's had enough. I'm not sure I like all these people spreading lies about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, OK. Now, uh, um, for you... Oh, I tell you what, before we go on to this, though, because for you, just because of you, we're going to bring back um, Surf Travel Nightmares. Um, and uh, I want to elaborate on that on this one about driving the car the wrong way down, because you used to be, I remember this, deadly in the car. You know, it was it was a kind of, you know, there was the famous Splinter special route, you know, where we were going, going somewhere, you know, no road maps, no sat-nav in these days. You'd just drive us somewhere and work out how to get there. It would yeah. normally take about four hours extra, wouldn't it? I, yeah, I remember when I used to first travel down to Cornwall by myself, I would literally look at the map the night before, get a piece of A4 paper and some blue tack, and then write down M4... A30. <laughs> <laughs> and go on that. This junction, and then follow it down to, towards Newquay. Um, and those, yeah, those used to be a sat-navs back in the day. But, yeah, the um, the wrong way down the dual carriageway, I did realise my error. As soon as Rid started spitting out his pasty, trying to get out his words, I realised something 
seriously <laughs> wrong. And it's quite hard to say, pull onto the grass, Verge, as quickly as you can, we're going to die, with a mouthful of pasty, without spitting it everywhere. we got a few more coming up after this, but, but for you, um, because uh, of, of your importance, and, and we, we actually spotted a particular name of note in our inbox, uh, we were going to bring back Surf Travel Nightmares for a minute now. Indeed, and this one is sent in by, of course, the person who uh, gave you your nickname, Mr. Stephen Horn, and it's titled First Trip to California, a place that he's since visited many times indeed. So here he goes. I had always dreamed of a surf trip to California, so peeking out from behind a motel curtain whilst two gang members shot across the pool at one another was not what I had in mind for my first night in the Golden State. The flight went very well. £199 with New Zealand Airlines, who dutifully ensured my 17-year-old body was kept well hydrated throughout. When we picked the car up, things started to go downhill. We managed to negotiate our way onto six lanes of traffic on the 405 South and thinking we were clever, inched across to the carpool lane, which enabled us to cruise along smugly for the next 20 or so miles. That was until we spotted our exit in about 400 yards. A quick and poor decision was made by the driver who decided on a very sharp turn to the right across five lanes of traffic, which resulted in nudging into a truck pulling a trailer full of canoes. Luckily, we made our exit, but felt slightly guilty as we zoomed away from the scene at great speed only to look in the rearview mirror to see the whole freeway come to a standstill as the canoes started to drop off one by one. Uh, can we confirm here, fact-checker, was Splinter actually the driver of this car at this point? <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly. Ford Ninja Turtles. Uh, finding a motel within our very limited budget proved quite a challenge, but eventually we saw the flickering light of a very classy joint in a less-than-salubrious neighbourhood that offered the promise of a quality night's sleep for $30 a night. Result... The motel owner was the walking, breathing image of Homer Simpson, complete with white vest bursting from his jeans. Being massive Simpsons fans at the time, we took this as a good omen. However, it wasn't long before we were aroused from our twitchy pre-sleep by the sound of gunfire, and at very close range. A trip to the window revealed a shooter on the balcony of an adjacent room, and a second young man with a blood-soaked motel towel around his arm, <laughs> holding a gun to a bikini-clad woman's head. <laughs> it wasn't long before the scene was interrupted by the sound of sirens and flashing blue lights as five police cruisers screeched onto the forecourt and aimed their weapons at the two gunmen. The LAPD boomed over the loudspeaker, instructing the perpetrators to put down their weapons and place their hands above their heads. Fortunately, they did, and were promptly cuffed and removed with devastating efficiency. Throughout the incident, Homer Simpson could be seen at the window of his reception desk, not even glancing up from his newspaper as the drama unfolded. He was listening to an episode of Crest, of probably, course, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. of course. And with this in mind, we made a snap decision to scarper at dawn the next day. Joining the freeway south, we kept going until we decided it was the uh, best to exit before we ended up in Mexico. We turned off at Encinitas Boulevard, because one of us needed a wee. And this is how we happened to find uh, Moonlight Beach in Encinitas, where we fell in love with California. That's there a nice ending. That's nice a lovely end. ending. Yeah. I have to Thanks, say, on, because of Mr. Stephen Horn, I have been to Encinitas myself and mm -hmm. surfed those very beaches, and they are very nice. Uh, and speaking about law enforcement, Splint, um, I believe you had a nice mishap, oh, I say nice, an unfortunate mishap in New Zealand. Um, a few years ago where you were robbed, is that right? 
This is true, yes. Um, a delightful incident that has scarred my memory for many years. But Talking about it on a show like this can, can give you absolution mm. for it. For yeah, it's, find, it's, it's quite therapeutic. Shame, shame I mean, I think this is the first time I've, I've talked about it openly to, to other people. So I, I think this is like a therapy session for That's me. What, yeah. and, uh, Closure. Closure, yeah. I can put it. I can put it to rest finally. Until loads of people write in put with their own rest. versions of the story. They start writing yeah. in and then asking me about it for the rest of my life, like the board bag incident. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, we bought a camper van in New Zealand, um, and the reason behind that was we were going to stay in this camper van. We wouldn't have to pay for hostels. So we invested into this camper van, slept on the beach, and surfed our guts out. And then we came to a time that we thought right let's uh, go to Auckland we'll sell the camper van and we'll use the proceeds to fly onwards to Australia so we parked the camper van in this car park in Auckland for what must have been about 20 minutes while well, we went into the the town just have a, a, a look around came back and the thing had gone <laughs> completely gone me I had my wallet with me and my mobile phone my other two friends and left their wallets and their phones in the van. So we rung the, the, the phone that was in the van and these guys answered and these Maori guys were like, yeah, we've got your van. There's nothing you can do about it. And uh, we're gonna sell all your stuff as well. And that was that. Wow. Yeah, great incident. But then, so we were like, okay. So they were taunting you? They were taunting us basically, yeah. Gosh. Which, you know, makes the matter worse. But then, so we decided then, okay, this isn't gonna be possible to, to stay uh, to fly onwards to Australia because, of course, we've, they've just stolen our investment. Um, so whatever money I had, we spent the rest of the time in Auckland just going to strip bars and uh, <laughs> spending all our money crying on beer. Crying into your beer. Crying into our beer. Oh, uh, I know, it was awful. And then after about two weeks, we realised that none of, I didn't have any money left either. Um, and by this time, the British Embassy had uh, sent the passports because we had to get replacement passports. So we had our passports and we went straight to the... Um, the airport and we said right we need return flights we've got our flights booked but we need them rescheduled they said we're really sorry but the next flight um, available flight isn't going to be for another three weeks they said however you flew via South Korea on the way here so you've got more chance we can send you on a flight to South Korea and you've got more chance of getting a flight out of the South Korean airport back to the UK so we listened to these um, uh, these airport staff and we caught a flight to South Korea and it transpired that there were no flights available for the next week in this South Korean airport oh however gosh. to make matters worse they had a no sleeping policy uh, in the airport soul destroying <laughs> absolutely soul destroying oh, yeah. so basically whenever you started to fall asleep these gentlemen would come round and nudge you with the bayonet of their rifles I mean this is basically what like this is an extraordinary rendition then this this was basically yeah, that's what it is it's, it's a torture method it's midnight it's midnight express in an airport basically <laughs> that's the only way i can describe it um so you, you start to fall asleep and then they nudge you with the bayonet their, their rifles and say get up get up you know you're not supposed to sleep here um i think at the most we managed like an hour because um, one of us would watch out for the guards and then alert the other person how oh, quick they're coming you need to get up and we kind of try try and move to another area so after a week of just being sleep depraved and just absolutely knackered we managed to get a flight uh, to France and we flew into France and then caught the tube to London and then London back to Cardiff and that whole ordeal took about nine days. 
Wow. So it took me nine days to get home and a week spent in the airport in, a, in <laughs> one pair of clothes um, coming back crusty. It wasn't a good experience. Ah, oh, happy days. So that was back in 2002. You're now living in Cardiff working as a photojournalist. Yeah, so um, I graduated in 2013, decided that I needed to do something with my life and uh, began a, a degree in photography and then uh, worked editorially for a number of publications. Um, and I began a master's in uh, October or end of September. I don't know whether that, whether that will be virtual or on site yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. And with potential maybe going into teaching afterwards. Brilliant. Well, Excellent. what sort of things have you been taking, you know, any sort of standout uh, photography projects that you've carried out during that job? But yeah, I, I uh, completed a project um, which I entitled a Swim Into the Wild, which is essentially about um, cold water swimmers and the um, focusing on the benefits of swimming in cold water and, and obviously the mental health attributes and, and uh, obviously the, the physical attributes of, of uh, what cold water does and natural flowing water does to the body. Um, so the, the project focused on a group of swimmers throughout the country from all the way from uh, Pembrokeshire towards um, in West Wales of course and um, then down to the uh, Henley-on-Thames near the, um, the Thames River obviously in the Thames River. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It can't be Henley okay. under Thames, mind you, Henley with some of the wet weather we've been having lately. Yeah, <laughs> Henley on Thames. Right, OK, yeah. Um, do you want me to start that again? No, no you're all right. That's fine. Yeah, and then on to uh, Henley on Thames. Um, and it was just, I spent a year with uh, swimmers, uh, swimming around the country, and um, uh, created a body of work that focused on, obviously, the reasons why they swim outdoors. And it was something that I could maybe relate to myself, because I'm not sure you guys get it, but once you've been for a surf, you get this almost like this afterglow feeling, don't you? Yeah, from the cold, yeah. Mm. Well, not just the cold. I mean, um, for me, you know, when I when I go surfing, it kind of washes the world away, and you, you come out feeling happy and uh, elated, and, and it's, it's almost like a euphoric sense Yeah. Um, once you've been surfing. It releases these kind of these endorphins, which are... Uh, Proven to you know uh, stimulate the brain and. Do you know, it's funny. I was in a, I was involved in a, a project a couple of years ago to try and come up with to experiment with Welsh translations of some of the surfing terms, and I ended up meeting this poet, a Welsh poet. And we were talking about what might be a translation for Stoke, and I, I, we all sort of take it for granted, you know. But he said that oh he'd be oh, we took him surfing first for him to feel it, and he was saying oh yeah well he was saying that. It, Stoke, as in like stoking a fire, but he was saying it feels like you're freezing cold and mm. your body's freezing cold, but there's like that kind of warmth or the fire or the stoke is yeah. within you. Um, and it, it was really interesting just to hear like the way another language was brought into making it suddenly observing this kind of meaning to the word stoke that I hadn't mm. thought of. I suppose those guys feel stoke as well then, do they? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's exactly right. I mean, you, when you watch their faces, when they're actually in the water itself, it looks like pure pain and, and it does look really like an uncomfortable experience but when they come out it's that after feeling and that seems to for them especially a lot of the swimmers that I, I photographed suffered with things like mental health issues and, and some of their experience you know lost loss of loved ones etc um, and for them they, they had this kind of euphoric uh, feeling for the rest of the day and, and it you know helped them kind of overcome the, the troubles that they they'd faced in their lives and and, and it's something, you know, that I, I kind of feel myself when I go surfing. I mean, you know, when you have a really stressful day um, and you go for a surf, even if it's two foot slopped and rest bay, you, know, you just feel that, that sense of something's been lifted off your shoulders. Mm. It's becoming quite popular, isn't it? The, uh, I think it's called the Wim Hof Method. And it, right. it focuses on the same thing, the submersion in, in 
cold to freezing water and the breath exercises and it has all these um, benefits both physically and uh, mentally mm. for its uh, people yeah. who follow it. Sometimes, you know, uh, you see experienced surfers coming out of the water, they've had a bad surf, they're sort of staring at the sand, swearing, moping around, oh, my board... Punching their board. Didn't have enough wax on my it's board. Tom Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And then you see someone who's maybe just been for a swim or just been for their first surf on a nine-foot foamy, and they've got the widest grin on ah, in the I face I think what you've world. picked up here is... Uh, the debate. Yes, jocks and purists. That's ah. Let's see where Splint stands on it. Well, what, so we've been discussing the, uh, on, on previous shows, yeah. we've been discussing the differences between jocks and purists within the, the sport or the, the world of surfing. Right, okay. And we're quite torn. Um, I personally don't think anybody here is a jock. Tom likes to think he is. However, um, as I said, Tom likes to think he is. So in coming weeks, we're going to be having a... In fact, in uh, yeah, two episodes' time, we're going to be having the big debate, jocks versus purists, and we've roped in some uh, special guests for Should the show. Should surfing change to become yeah. more kind of Olympian? Well, this is interesting because I've always considered myself more of a jock rather than a purist. I've never been I into the... Do you, do you look at your trophy cabinet from time to time? Walk no. up and down it, look at I, it? I don't, no. My trophy cabinet is in my mother's attic. Um, <laughs> so... But, for, what, but what, what, what's jock about you then? Well, for, for me, I've never been into the surf lifestyle. I don't right. really wear many surf clothes anymore. So it's a sport for And you. for me, it's more about the athletic side of the sport. I mean, I, I like the way that the sport is progressing. I know that some will debate this thing that surfing's kind of lost its soul. And it's, you know, you see these major sponsors which have got on board, like Nike 6.0 and, you yeah. know, all these major companies that are starting to invest into surfing but i mean if you look at the progression the evolution of surfing you only have to look at like athletes like michelle Perez or felipe toledo and the work that they you know do to, to kind of reach that ability i mean on the two of these days they've got a physio a nutritionist um mm. someone that's you know monitoring everything about their surfing someone videoing them and and it's it's evident in their surfing i mean the, the ability is you know in the last sort of five years has kind of um, increased by about three or four notches. I mean, mm. you know, looking at Felipe Toledo at J Bay a few years ago when he did oh, those two huge alley oops. Yeah, yeah wow. massive, and then followed up with a few cutties and a floater. I mean, mm. you couldn't even dream about that ten years ago. Mm. I mean, if Slater did like you know a full rotation, that was you know the benchmark of surfing. I reckon you've done two air three sixties on a wave though, probably. <laughs> Do you? you reckon? Well, some of those manoeuvres are bodyboard manoeuvres, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And and again, it's um, it's. Going back to the point I made earlier, there is a you know there's a direct correlation between bodyboard manoeuvres and surfing manoeuvres. You know, it's, it's influenced each other essentially. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, uh, Splinter, it's been everything we hoped it it'd be, and as far as we're concerned, you're going home with a gong for your mother's attic. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder where you're going with that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm glad the, you said attic. The most famous person. From Port Albert. Uh, boxing rules apply, see, because, you know, you, you beat the champ. The belt is now yours, or we called it a gong. Here's the belt. Wear it proudly. Um, can we also thank Dr Rid Lewis uh, for your assistance in interviewing the formerly fourth, but now first, biggest celebrity in the history of Port Albert? Hopkins, Burton, Sheen, Griffiths. Mm-hmm. What else is there to say? Not a lot. And, of course, thanks to our listeners... Uh, so whether you're accessing our diatribes through YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we remain eternally grateful for your support. 
Besides subscribing, you can also contact us directly on castcrest at gmail.com or via uh, Instagram or by simply saying hello in the water. We love to hear what people think. And next week, we've secured another garden studio session with a character who is universally loved and admired as a person whose life story is truly inspirational. Mark Schofield is going to walk us through an incredible memoir interview, uh, as well as no doubt filling our ears with his opinions on all matters that relate to the sport we all share and love. Scof is a true legend whose stoke survives in the face of several massive health setbacks. We'll also be asking him how someone takes a break from surfing, only to find themselves golfing promptly off a three handicap. It is a Jordan-esque achievement, all right. To hear all things according to the world of scope, watch your device for the next downloadable instalment. Until then, thanks and see you next time. Joach am Grando Aguela Chia Tronessa. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. One, two, three.